Blog Talk Radio. Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on what you, which you are about to enter. So help you God. Congratulations, you are now. The poems in the 1990s. Gunshots. Robbery. Violent crime. Murder. Drugs. Gangs. Violence. Three people were gunned down. A triple murder. The Palms Apartment. The Palms Apartment Complex on Mercy Drive. You need to just basically shut them down. Ain't no rehabbing the Palms. The Palms in the 1990s. Hope was lost. She was born Valdez Benita Butler in Jacksonville, Florida. The youngest of seven, Val Demings grew up with little but valued a lot. We grew up poor, but my parents always taught us that in this country, you can succeed. On a shoestring budget and a lot of student loans, Demings went to college. When I went off to college, my mother said to me, never grow tired of doing good. After graduating, Demings became a social worker, a member of the Orlando police, and then... At the historic changing of the guard at the region's largest police force. Val Demings will now become the first woman to head the department in its 132-year history. Thank you, Mom and Dad, for teaching me to look beyond my present circumstances to see a better day. When Demings was appointed chief of police, crime was at an all-time high, and it was one of the worst financial years for the city. A better day was exactly what Orlando needed. It's about identifying a problem, working with others to bring common sense solutions to the problems that we're facing. The reduction of violent crime is my primary focus. We will be relentless in our efforts to fight crime. I am tired of seeing young males lose their lives over foolishness. Police Chief Val Demings wants to mentor kids and reach them before they end up in jail. Val Demings started a GED and money management program to help kids build a better quality of life for themselves. You've got to have a good foundation. You've got to get off to a good start. Until you are given the opportunity, the world may never know your potential. Orlando's violent crime this year is down. Robberies are also down 40%. Under her leadership, there has been the most dramatic decrease in violent crime in the city's history. You know, no great moments in history just happen on their own. Courage is at the center of it all. You know, one of the problems in the Palms Apartment was that no one had ever asked them what they wanted from their police department. We were able to engage the community and empower the community to really improve their standard of living. Residents and police officers have worked for almost two years to try to clean up the formerly crime-ridden neighborhood. As a result, crime went down 21%. We would not have been able to be as successful as we were without listening to the people. Holmes Apartments will officially be renamed. More good news here at what's now Windsor Cove Apartment Homes. Making a difference was what I wanted to do. I wanted to make a difference in my community. And it is with that same belief 
to keep striving to do good that Chief Val Demings is running to become Congresswoman Demings. My mom used to always say, whatever you do, always make a difference in the world. Never let anybody tell you you can't do something and just press forward. And never, ever grow tired. Never grow tired. Of doing good. Of doing good. Of doing good. That's why I'm running for Congress. So let's get it done. I'm Val Demings, and I approve this message. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we definitely are in search for justice around the globe. Tonight, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, Thursday, you may want to call her Mrs. Law and Order, Congresswoman Val Demings, I'll tell you what, setting a trail in our nation's capital. One-on-one interview with her, we're going to bring that to you tonight, exclusive one-on-one, on location, where we were there a week ago, and I'll tell you what, Congress, Congresswoman Val Demings is getting it done And I'll tell you what, she's just getting started. Folks, hang on. Spotlight on Capitol Hill kicks off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, Samson Riddle, and the entire AJC radio team. Also, Lisa Stewart. And I'll tell you right now, folks, this is a humdinger. We're very excited tonight as we dig back into the vault, if you will, and get started with Spotlight on Capitol Hill, which has been a huge success here. And we are excited about this young woman, Congresswoman Val Demings. Uh, she has a story to tell, and I'm not going to get ahead of her on this one. But uh, you're going to hear a lot about uh, this Congresswoman, Dennis, doing some things. I'll tell you what, to say Mrs. Law in order doesn't even do it justice. Uh, oh, for no what this doubt. young lady has done. Your thoughts on this one? Uh, no doubt. I mean, when you when you uh, were acting as uh, well, not acting, were the police chief, and uh, you bought down crime forty percent. I mean, that's that's awesome in itself. And, and then just to, you know, just from hearing that clip earlier, how how she is truly uh, believes that you know she could make a difference uh, as a congresswoman. She made a difference as a uh, chief. And I tell you, uh, tonight's going to be a good show. Samson, your thoughts on this magnificent young lady? Oh, I can't wait to get started on this. I mean, not to, not to start out with the fact that she's from the great state of Florida, but the fact of the matter is, you know, that uh, she took so many initiatives on there. I mean, as police, she started a GED program. She started all kinds of programs. And then you see just the laundry list of caucuses and everything else that she's involved in there on Capitol Hill. Oh, this, this young woman is ready to let her presence be known. She's ready to make a difference, and she's ready to get some things straight in our nation's capital. Well, Cliff, you had an opportunity to sit down with her with me uh, in Washington, and I'll tell you what, had an impact from the very beginning. Your thoughts, please. Yeah, Lamont, I think the thing that uh, stood out to me the most was her her passion about not only law and order and, uh, you know, what she brings to Congress as far as her career, but just the fact that as a person who dealt with community service and and helping people out, you know, the, the statement that stood out to me was, you know, when she said she went to the academy and they told her, well, you can't do law enforcement like you did uh, community service and social work. And, and, and she really is passionate about bringing those two, two things together. And it, it, it goes to show that it works. I mean, to bring crime down 40 percent in, in the uh, area where she was chief, I mean, that is unheard of. And it shows that what she implemented, what she believes, what she's passionate about, which is the well-being of people, 
really works when it comes down to the brass tacks. No, absolutely right. And we're going to dig, we're going to dig into that. Uh, the interview was absolutely amazing. Uh, and this is not someone, folks, that is putting on a show or trying to put on some type of performance. This, this young lady is, I'll tell you, is doing some things and making a difference. And the passion that we saw in Capitol Hill a week ago, a little over a week ago in that office, I'll tell you what, it was contagious. And uh, I see why uh, we have so much information on her uh, to discuss and all good stuff. Uh, and she's been in Congress since 2017. And I'm telling you, is doing something and leading out in so many things. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't get any better than this. So we're excited about it. And we're going to definitely uh, have an opportunity to bring that interview, interview to you as well. So, folks, hang on. Call your friends, your neighbors, our folks down there in Florida. Uh, tell everybody you know your representative uh, is live, not live, excuse me, is being featured here on HNC Radio. But that interview, I promise you, you don't want to miss that. So uh, this is going to be a good one, and uh, we look forward to that. Uh, some um, local stuff going on as far as uh, current events. As you know, uh, I believe it, I believe day 23 of the uh, 21 of the shutdown, 27, 27, uh, and it's, it's mounting and getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, and you're talking to people who are out of work. Folks having to report to jobs, they don't get a paycheck. Uh, this is a bad situation. Never seen it on this level, in this fashion, uh, in this country. Samson, th- this is something that, without question, is to talk around kitchen tables tonight because, and God help, hopefully, uh, there's some food on the table tonight. Hey, absolutely. I mean, I, I know I've, I work with a lot of uh, DOD civilians and just have personal relationships with a lot of them and just to hear the stress that these guys are under because we have all these different groups on Capitol Hill, especially our president, that can't come to the table so we can un- that we can open up the government. He's already been given several paths to op- reopen the government and say, hey, you know what, we'll bring the wall back to the table at a later time, but let's get these people back to work. Let's get some people paid. But it's like it's an all or nothing kind of thing. And like when you're dealing with the American people – do not hold us hostage. That's the you better learn that from history. You better you better go back and read something because we don't do well when we're when we're held hostage. He no. needs to come to the table. He needs to sit down. We need to get some legislation passed, open up the government, and get these folks back to work. Get them paid. No, absolutely right. And you you put America is at risk right now. Whether you're talking about uh, the TSA, whether you're talking about the FDA, uh, whether you t- everything that can be affected by this is happening. Uh, this this needs to be definitely handled, needs to be done. Uh, and I'll tell you what, as the clock continues to tick, and this is something for people to look at, President Trump was to get any funding for that wall, just as he did when he came in as the new administration, he can undo all of it. The next president can come straight in and stop the wall. I, I don't understand. The clock is not even on your side here. To get it done, uh, but the people's lives that are affected by it. Uh, when you start taking food off the kitchen table, and you start having utility bills not being paid, and kids in the dark and without heat, that's bigger than politics in a wall. Oh yeah, 
and that's something that needs to be dealt with. So we're going to uh, continue to watch that as well. Uh, on the other side of the break, folks, it doesn't get any better than this. The kickoff, if you will, of Spotlight on Capitol Hill, Congresswoman Val Demings. What do you say? We probably have run out of adjectives to think of. But tonight you will learn more about this woman. I'll tell you what, Landless True Foundation, non nation's capital. Congresswoman Val Demings on the other side of the break. Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children as they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Because I'm 16, I can't drive at night. Because I'm 16, I can't work past 10 o'clock on a school night. Because I'm 16, I can't get a cell phone contract without my parents. Because I'm 16, I can't get a flu shot without my mother's consent. At 16, I'm not old enough to watch an R-rated movie alone. Because I'm 16, I can't buy a lottery ticket. I can't vote. I can't drink. I can't smoke. I can't join the military. Because I'm 16, I can't sit on a jury, but I can be tried as an adult. I can get a lifetime criminal record. If I get arrested, my parents don't have to be notified. Because I'm 16, my mother had to sign this consent form so that I could participate in this video. But I can go to an adult prison. But I can go to Rikers Island. But I can be sent to Attica. My name is Michael Corriero. I was a judge for 28 years in the criminal courts of the state of New York. New York is one of only two states in the entire nation that it automatically tries children as young as 16 as adults. We need to change that. Last week, my father sent me to my room. Next week, a judge could sentence me to an adult prison. We need to judge children as children. It's time to raise the age of criminal responsibility in New York. Minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent. The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. 
We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. And welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot. But I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. You can't sit here. Don't add her to the chain. It was just a joke. We're not friends. Why are you talking to me? You started it. It's so gross. User. Weirdo. I've said and done things before that I'm not proud of. Just as I've been hurt by others. The thing is, this, this is not who I am. And it's definitely not who I want to be. I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to spread gossip. I don't want to be a body shaver. I don't want to exclude anyone. I don't want to make anyone feel lonely. Left out. Hurt. We can create a kinder world. It's not that hard. We just need to stop. Take a moment. And consider others before we speak. And before we act. Be more. Be more. Be more. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, the spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday and uh, no greater type of American spirit uh, that I can think of than what I experienced a, a week or so ago in Washington, D.C. when we had the opportunity to sit down with Congresswoman Val Demings. And I'll tell you what, folks, this is a woman that is full of enthusiasm, a passion to make a difference, uh, comes from really some strong family ties uh, that put her in a position, and again, I'm not going to tell her stories. You're going to hear from her shortly. Uh, we're going to bring that interview to you. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it is absolutely amazing. Uh, some of the things and the things that have driven this young lady to do what she's doing, uh, being the first uh, woman chief of police uh, in, down there in Florida, uh, that, is a, that is a huge, huge uh, accomplishment 
Uh, and then she says, you know what? I want to continue to make a difference. She talks about her mother, uh, how her mother really, uh, Samson inspired her, telling her, you know what I mean? You go somewhere and you make a difference. No matter what you do, you make a difference. These are things that are instilled in a lot of people in this country. Uh, but who took advantage of that and said, I'm going to be actually exactly that. I'm going to fight. I'm going to make a difference. I want to touch lives. Uh, you'll hear from her on different topics tonight, her, her passion about getting gun control legislation done. They're being down there in Florida with the Pulse uh, nightclub shooting and the victims of that, um, and to be concerned about it. And to work in law enforcement on the level that Congresswoman um, Deming did is, is just over the top in a very, very good way. Samson, when you think about that, like you say, you're, you're, you're from that area, correct? Yes, sir. Uh, when you drop crime at a 40% rate, you're not talking about a little small town in the woods somewhere. You're talking about a major metropolitan area. And crime gets cut to that level when you have a leader, as, as Congresswoman Demings apparently was, to come in there and shake things really up in that in that place. Talk to us a little bit about that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely from Florida. I actually lived in Orlando for a, for a while. And... It was no joke. The crime rate was up, especially, you know, 90s, 2000s, you know, early around there. I mean, it was up. You didn't want to go anywhere, you know, without having a small group with you. So to have a leader that come out there, especially the first woman chief of police, to get in there and drop it by 40%, I mean, it's un- it's unheard of. It was like every every night on the news, every day on the radio, you were hearing about some other attack or some type of, you know, somebody getting carjacked. Always something negative going on in the – Orlando metropolis area there so now to have this woman come in and be able to to clean all that up and i mean not just say she's going to do something not just talk about the work that has to be done but actually get in there put the work in they they talk about it in the in the in the bio we have on her about how she's a no non she was a no-nonsense cop okay she went in there with her mind made up that she was going to make a difference she was going to make an impact and she was going to implement whatever she had to do in order to change that. And she's carried that obviously over into um, her time now as a congressperson up there, making a difference, getting involved with whatever groups that she can on the Hill and going after legislation. You know, like you mentioned, the, I mean, the, the gun, uh, gun legislation, you know, better protect against that. You know, me, I'm a gun advocate, but I do believe that there are, they, there needs to be better laws in place. There needs to be, you know, stricter things put in there so that not everybody can have it. But she, she's not just talking about it like a lot of representatives sure. that are out there on the Hill. She's actually going after and doing it. I think that's what makes her stand out so much and makes her so unique in her stance because she's not a whole lot. I mean, she's obviously she's a politician. She has to have some sort of talk, some sort of soapbox to, you know, get her issues out there. But she also gets on there and she puts in the work. And I think that's that's what makes oh. her such a stellar person. Well, absolutely right. And you got a lot of – I mean, that's the platform in which they, they're given is to – Use that platform uh, because the voters are the ones that voted these representatives in. Uh, I'll tell you what. Florida believed in, in the passion, in the drive uh, of this Congresswoman Demings to do something and say, we're going to send you to Washington because they had to believe that she had something to bring to the table. And that's without question. In the few minutes that I got an opportunity to talk with her, uh, you knew without a doubt this was a woman who was sent here uh, with one. And, and I'll tell you what, you're talking about laser focus. 
of the job that has to be done. And she made it very clear to us, this is not something I take for granted. This is not something that I just think, well, it was just, it's just here, so here we go. No, this is a woman who says, look, somebody believed in me, then they, I'm going to give them a reason to believe in me. When you come out and hit the ground running, and that's exactly what Congresswoman uh, Demings has done. She's hit the ground running. She is talking about issues that matter. She is talking about gun control legislation. She is talking about the Affordable Care Act, the dangers of repealing that, the people that will suffer from that. These are all those things uh, that, that make a big difference. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, to echo that, <clears throat> the, the fact that, you know, the other members of the House, how much they respect her, uh, just yesterday, they, uh, they came out, um, you know, with, a, with a, an announcement that Congresswoman Demings was named to the House Intelligence Committee. And uh, the article reads that with a, a seat on the House Intelligence Committee, Bell Demings will help oversee the Russia probe. Uh, they said this committee provides oversight to the American intelligence community and annually produces the U.S. intelligence authorization bill that pre- prescribes limits and allowances to intelligence gathering activities. Uh, the committee is currently responsible for investigating the Russian interference until the 2016 election and the possible role of President Donald Trump's campaign in those efforts. And uh, also, Congresswoman Demings is on the uh, House Judiciary Committee, so we're going to be seeing and hearing a lot of her in these hearings that are coming up. So we want to say congratulations to Congresswoman Demings for being uh, named to that House Intelligence Committee. Just another example of the uh, just the level of trust, uh, the respect that, uh, you know, her, her uh, fellow House members have for her that, um, you know, with her tenure in Congress not being as long as uh, some others, uh, she has proven that what she has to offer, she brings a lot to the table. And to be uh, added to that committee is a great honor. And again, congratulations, Congresswoman Demings, well-deserved. No, absolutely right. You could have anybody better in that position. And I'm going to tell you what, uh, she is honestly going to uh, bring that impact. We already know how the Oversight Committee works in D.C., uh, what their job is, what their push is. Uh, you can have, you can find anybody better than that uh, to do that. So, uh, again, to echo uh, Cliff's, uh, Cliff's uh, congratulations as well uh, to the Congresswoman, well-deserved and somebody that's making a big difference. Congresswoman Val Demings was born in a two-room wooden-framed home in Jacksonville. Congresswoman Demings was the youngest of seven children. Her parents, Eloise, a maid, and James, a janitor, did all they could to support their seven children and instill in them the meaning of hard work. Congresswoman Demings took these lessons seriously, getting her first job at the age of 14 and became the first in her family to graduate from college. With her parents proudly at her side, she received a a bachelor's in criminology from Florida State University. She also holds a master's of arts degree from Webster University. She attended the 226th session of the FBI National Academy and FBI National Executive Institute. She began a career in Jacksonville as a social worker, working with foster children. Despite seeing few women in the ranks of law enforcement in the early 1980s, She was inspired to move to Orlando to join the police force. She graduated from the police academy as class president, receiving the Board of Trustees Award for overall excellence, and quickly earned the reputation of a tenacious, no-nonsense cop. In addition to her regular job assignments, 
She served as a member of the crisis negotiation team, commander of the critical incident team, and executive vice president of the International Association of Airport and Seaport Police. It was that reputation that helped her work her way up in the ranks while raising a family. During her 27-year career, she served in virtually every department, including serving as commander of the Special Operations, where she was responsible for some of Orlando's highest-profile tasks, including special events and dignitary protection. In 2007, Congresswoman Demings made history when she was appointed to serve as Orlando's first female chief of police. Dennis, when you, when you hear that, that's, just, that's absolutely awesome. What are you going to say to that? Again, what you just said, absolutely awesome. I mean, I tell you, uh, this congresswoman, if, if, she's, if she's running like this, oh, my God, I can, I can only imagine where she's going to go. And you can tell it takes somebody that has, you know, a lot uh, of responsibility that wants to make things happen. And as you can see, she's making it happen. Well, without question. We want to hear a little bit from the congresswoman. Uh, really, you know, when all the, the violence and all the stuff that was going on with the shootings in schools, uh, all those things, uh, she stood still opposing giving guns to teachers. Let's see what she has to say about that. Mr. Speaker, one month ago today, a man brutally murdered 17 children and educators in Parkland, Florida. He killed these innocent people using a semi-automatic assault-style weapon. These weapons designed for the battlefield are easily available across this country. It has been 19 years since the Columbine school shooting. That massacre shocked America. Our country debated that shooting and the causes for months, for years. But in what has become an all too familiar pattern, Congress did nothing to address the factor that makes these massacres so deadly, the easy access to guns. You see, after Taliban, the gun lobby knew that they were in trouble, and so they put a whole lot of time and a whole lot of money into confusing the issue. They said, it's not guns, it's bullying. They said, it's not guns, it's the lack of school security. It's not guns, it's our violent culture, music, and video games. Well, other countries have all of these things. But other countries do not have mass shootings like ours because other countries have responsible gun safety laws. Today, one month after the Parkland shooting, we are once again discussing guns. And today, as after Caliban, the gun lobby knows that they are in trouble because this time these children who survived the park line shooting are not trying to return to the way life was before the shooting. They are taking a stand and yes, we do stand with them. See, these children believe that they can change the world. They should and they 
are. I mean, after all, isn't that what we taught them, that when they see something wrong, they do something about it? And so the gun lobby is going back to their same old tactics. It's not gun. It's the fact that the teachers don't have guns. How surprising that the gun lobby solution to school shootings is to buy more guns. But as a former law enforcement officer who has been trained in active shooter situations, I can tell you that arming teachers is a dangerous and disturbing idea. We should prevent mass shootings and not complicate them. I can tell you that having multiple armed individuals present in an active shooter situation only complicates the response. Arming teachers would lead to taxpayer-sponsored shootouts, injuring outskilled and outgunned teachers and putting our children at risk. We already asked our overworked and underpaid teachers to do too much. A national survey of teachers found that if offered the choice to carry a firearm, most would refuse. Many have said they would quit. The solution to gun violence is not shootouts between teachers and school shootings. Instead, we can finally take serious but real measures addressing gun safety. We should stop this absurd idea before it becomes reality. Congress should move swiftly to prevent the administration from shifting tax dollars meant for anti-terrorism programs to buying guns for teachers. I have hoped to incorporate this common sense idea in a bill scheduled to come before the Homeland Security Committee last week, but I was blocked for doing so. And that's why last night I introduced a new bill to put the idea into law. Money for fighting terrorism should stay where it is and our teachers should not should be allowed to teach. We saw that in my own congressional district in Orlando, Florida, the results of lack of action where 49 people were killed and 58 still suffer life-changing injuries when they were gunned down in a nightclub. See, everybody living in a country that we say is the greatest country in the world should have the right to go to church, to go to school, to go to a mall, to go to a movie theater without being gunned down. Mr. Speaker. The gentlelady's time has expired. We should take action to protect our children and serve our communities. Well, there you have it. Congresswoman Val Demings, uh, making no uh, excuses, uh, but very passionately uh, explaining the unexplainable, uh, the issues that people just don't want to deal with. Dennis, when you talk about Congresswoman Demings, what you hear during that clip, and we said this at the top of this show, this is not ordinary. This is a woman who says, I will impact wherever I set my foot at. I'm going to impact and make a difference. A lot of people shy away from these issues that the Congresswoman says, I must get involved. You cannot walk the path that Congresswoman Demings has walked 
in law enforcement. What did she see in those years as chief of police? What did she see when she was just on the beat in Orlando? How many people did she see die? This is what really grips my heart about the congresswoman. These are experiences that shape a nation. It changes directions of communities. It changes lives of no matter what race you are. That type of leadership uh, cannot go unnoticed. Dennis, your thoughts? And, and that type of leadership can talk to gun control. That's right. I mean, because she's got the background. I mean, she's seen some things, like you said. And uh, one of the things that, that, that got me that she spoke about was, you know, first of all, it's not about uh, taking away Second Amendment rights. It's about making sure that the people that should not have a, a, a semi-automatic weapon or a weapon at all don't have one. Making sure that we have, uh, you know, laws in place. I mean, matter of fact, she's pushing, pushing along now uh, to make sure that, you know, guns don't get into the wrong hands. And then again, keeping it alive, making sure people understand, okay, we can't stop talking about guns. Look, we still losing lives we still lost a lot of lives in school she talked about the different uh situation or incidents that took place making sure under, un, people understand that this is about lives this is about saving lives not about taking guns away from uh citizens that's not what it's about but the nra will always take that story and turn it so i tell you she's and she's straightforward a lot of people don't want to talk about it but as a congresswoman you have to well, I, I, think the, I think the point you make, Dennis, is, is well taken. This is a woman who has been in law enforcement. If anybody is considered what I would say an expert, to go to Congress and say, look, this needs to be done because you know what? I walked the streets in Orlando. I've heard from the family members. This is what is so impressive right. about Congresswoman uh, Demings. This is what makes you feel like, man, somebody – is definitely in the right place and, and, and definitely in the good, in good hands with her. Seven. Uh, absolutely. I mean, d- just to hear her make the comment about, you know, that there does about arming teachers about there doesn't need to be uh, a gun, a gun battle between teach armed teachers and some, and some active shooter, because the fact of the matter is, is like, like we've been talking about, she's gone through the training. She knows what specific training has to be done when you're going to carry a firearm, you had to do it for 27 years. There's a whole lot of training that goes into it. So idly giving some, some teacher a weapon, you know, in an active shooter situation, you're just going to create more problems. You're going to get a lot of people hurt. They may be getting a, in a shootout with, a, with, with the police that are trying to help them out. So there's too many, there are too many things that can go wrong in arming teachers. And, I mean, yeah, the other side of the argument would say, oh, but, you know, that if, if they – can engage the active shooter. Well, that's a that's a big if. And those are a lot of children's lives to be putting in between, you right. know, that teacher and that if if they can see that active shooter. Because the fact of the matter is, if if any any person any parent would be put on the on the stand and say, hey, are you going to take that risk with your child that they aren't identified as possibly being the active shooter and an armed teacher shoots them? Would you take that risk? I guarantee a hundred percent of the parents in America would say no. No parent wants to risk that. They want to give that to the people that have been trained, the people that are, no, are there to do their job and help them, you know, and there are so many other alternatives that can be done versus like just scattering guns all over our schools. Well, without questioning, you're talking again to an expert in Congresswoman Demings, an expert, well-rehearsed in life, 
in situations. Uh, and that has to count for something. As Orlando's chief of police, Congresswoman Demings was widely praised for her dynamic leadership and a significant drop in crime. Uh, the department through the, she basically shepherded the department through the financial crisis and despite budgetary constraints, kept the same number of officers on the streets. Remarkably, the Orlando Police Department reduced violent, uh, uh, violent crime uh, significantly as a result of that leadership. Now, when you got budget issues in a state, how do you keep the same amount of officers on the street? And people who, but again, I got to believe it is the role that Congresswoman uh, uh, Demings walked to say, look, if we pull cops off the street, we fill more body bags. That makes a, that makes a huge difference. Ladies and gentlemen, listen, stay tuned. We're coming right back with the part one of our interview that we had with Congresswoman Demings in Washington, D.C. a little over a week ago. And I'll tell you what, you got something to look forward to. We're going to bring that back to you on the other side of this break. We're talking today, Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, our kickoff edition, Congresswoman Val Demings, champion and, and really committed to making a difference, not only in Washington, D.C. or in Orlando, but across this nation. You're going to hear from her on the other side of this break. This is AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. We'll be right back. You can tell a lot about someone by what they spend their money on, their priorities, their concerns, and their motives. Big Pharma says their top priority is research and development. They say that prescription drug costs are so high because they spend so much on research. But the simple truth is, nine out of the ten biggest pharma companies spend 50% more on advertising than they do on research and development. It's true. Tens of billions more. The more they spend, the clearer it becomes. Big Pharma's priorities are more ads, more sales, and higher costs to you. It's time for Big Pharma to get their priorities straight. Americans deserve open and honest prescription drug pricing. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit CSRXP.org. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. 
I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can have value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Foreman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, they each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. You're on your way to meet up with friends, but you can't seem to get anywhere quickly. You don't want your friends to be annoyed, so you text. You're on your way. Five seconds is the average time your eyes are off the road while texting while driving. Make sure you get where you're going. We know you care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. 
We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And I'll tell you what, folks, tonight has been a true treat, but it, it, it gets better from here as we are shining the spotlight on Capitol Hill on Congresswoman Val Demings. And uh, what we've heard so far is over the top. It's amazing. Uh, and I'll tell you what, our interview with her a week ago or so in Washington, D.C. was quite the treat. We're going to bring that to you right now, part one of that interview uh, with Congresswoman Val Demings, who was so gracious, her staff, Daniel down there, uh, making this happen. Uh, we had actually met with Daniel a couple, of, I think a year or so ago, a year and a half ago, and told him about Spotlight, and we just kind of stayed in touch. And this was able to happen uh, through, our, through our team of, uh, who reaches out to, to these folks on the Hill, and a job well done, uh, everybody involved in for making that happen. And right now we're going to go to that interview, part one, with Congressman Congresswoman Val Demings. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is Lamont Banks uh, here in Washington, D.C. Spotlight on Capitol Hill and uh, Spotlight on Capitol Hill. And we are talking to Congresswoman Demings from Florida. And she's taking time with us as we are live on location in Washington, D.C. to talk about her passions, things that this Congress is challenged with, what lies ahead and the things that make her the person that she is. And Congresswoman Davis, we appreciate you uh, joining us this morning. Good morning, and thank you so much for uh, allowing me to have this opportunity to spend some time with you and your audience. We appreciate that. And uh, as we said, Spotlight on Capitol Hill is an initiative we started a few years ago to say, look, let's talk about what members of Congress are doing, the impact they're making in the lives of people, their constituents, but not only that, that affects this entire nation. Uh, and we were very impressed with you. You have a resume that is very, uh, uh, very impressive. And what you've been involved in, first uh, woman chief of police down there in, in, in Orlando. Uh, talk to us a little bit of how you started there. What, how did you get from there to here? I understand you've done social work as well. Yeah. Why don't you, why don't we yield the floor to you right now? Well, well thank you so much. Yeah. And I, I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm the youngest of seven children. Uh, my mother cleaned houses for a living, and my father was a janitor. And I think allowing people to understand my background and where I came from really will, I believe, help them to understand what motivates me every day. I grew up poor black and female in Florida. And I can remember many times being told that I could not do what I wanted to do or be what I wanted to be. But my mother, and it's amazing when I think about her and the vision that she had, she was a dreamer. She always told me to not allow other people to define me, my importance, or what I would do in the world. Uh, she was a, a praying woman. And uh, I remember when I graduated from high school and my mother was talking about college. She never went. She didn't finish high school with you know, my dad. But my mother was like, which college are you going to? And I you know, thinking, well, uh, maybe I need to continue to work for a little while because 
and then we did not have the resources for me to go. And she said, look, um, apply to the college of your choice, and you're going. And I did that. I applied to Florida State University. It's the only institution I applied to because that's the one I wanted to attend. And when I was accepted, my mother was celebrating and shouting, and uh, I didn't know how I was going to make it. But four years later, I graduated with a degree in criminal justice. I went to return back home to Jacksonville from Tallahassee and went to work uh, right away because when I graduated, I, was, I needed to go to work. I needed a job. But I knew, even though I was a little unclear, I thought about being an attorney. My dad used to say, you're a pretty good talker. Maybe you need to go to law school. Uh, but I knew that whatever I did or wherever I ended up, I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to help people remembering my own story and my own past. And uh, so I went to work as a social worker, uh, working first with families that need emergency services and then as a foster care counselor with abused children. Um, I remember I was at my desk one day in Jacksonville and uh, there was an advertisement that came on the radio that said the Orlando Police Department was in town recruiting. And I was a little disenchanted with the bureaucracy of the agency working with the state at that time because I felt like they could do a better job of really helping children that were in crisis. And when this announcement came over the radio, I said, you know what, I'm going over to every Gordon College and see what the Orlando Police Department has to say. It just kind of started out initially as a challenge for me, but I went and filled out the paperwork, took some exams, and a few weeks later, I received a letter in the mail saying, congratulations, you've been hired to attend the J.C. Stone Police Academy. And I thought at the time, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> but I moved to Orlando, packed everything I owned, the trunk of my car, and moved to Orlando to the academy. I graduated from the academy as a class president, received a board of trustees award for overall excellence, and hit the ground running and hit my share. Still with that passion to make a difference in my community. Had the honor of rising through the ranks and not being. Now look, I, I was a black woman in a predominantly male organization, but I did not allow the fears or the, sometimes the people say baggage of that, to deter me, and had the honor of rising through the ranks, and in 2007 was appointed Orlando's first woman chief of police, and uh, knew that not only did it come with responsibility, responsibility of being chief, but I also wanted to address some of the social ills that affect our community every day. That's, that's, that's amazing because as we look at, and I, I pose a question to you, uh, a lot of controversy within police departments mm -hmm. across this country, African-American kids getting killed, uh, unwarranted killings uh, of some of, these, some of these youngsters across the country, uh, which your background and the things you had to see down there. Uh, how concerning is it? I did read where you are very much a, a supporter of gun legislation, doing those things that put, you know what I mean, to stop filling these body bags and the conduct of some officers. What is your position on that? How troubling was it for you as we have seen that over the last a few years? Let me tell you, when I was appointed chief, uh, crime was at an all-time high and I made my first order of business was the reduction of violence. Because we, you know, we love to talk about living in the greatest country in the world. 
but living in the greatest country in the world should have its privileges, regardless of the color of your skin or how much money you make or which side of the track that you live on. And so with the reduction of violent crime being my number one concern, my second priority was to improve the relationship between the police and the community. And so I used to meet, have these meetings through what we call block training with especially our new police recruits, but with every man and woman in the agency. And this is what I would say to them. I would tell them to think in their minds about someone that they love being on the side of the road with a law enforcement officer at that very minute. And then I would ask them, when they got that image in their heads, I would ask them to think about how you would want your loved one to be treated on the side of the road by that law enforcement officer, whether your loved one was right or wrong. And then when they get that image in their minds, I would say that is the only level of professionalism and service that we will exhibit at this police department, professionalism that is good enough for your family. Because regardless of what a person has done, whether they've broken the law or not, violated the rules or not, every person, every person deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. And so we spent, that was a message I just drove home every opportunity I got with the men and women of the Orlando Police Department. And then also, we would do training, sensitivity training, um, teaching how to interact and deal with. We also did training with young people in the community where you encounter a law enforcement officer. And we also tried to empower the community that, look, we have a system called internal affairs that when you are the subject of inappropriate police behavior, don't say, well, I'm not going to call the agency because, well, what's going to happen anyway? Hold us accountable. You need to pick up the phone and call internal affairs. And believe me, I supervised that. You know, I was a manager in internal affairs during my career. We're going to do something about it. Because the inappropriate actions of one, as you all well know, has the ability to affect the good reputation of all the men and women who do a very tough job every day. Absolutely. And we, we primarily, uh, I remember when all of these things were happening, uh, as an advocacy organization, radio platform, uh, we address those issues. But we took the time to say, let me be very clear with this, uh, to do a show honoring those that honor the badge. That's critically important. Uh, because the, the divide in this country was so big. Uh, where you got officers being executed on a lunch break in New York City. Yeah, or um, yeah. remember what Chief David Brown in Dallas, Texas said mm-hmm. when five of his officers were executed, and you remember those officers before all hell broke loose, taking selfies to the public and just having a good time protecting them and allowing them to exercise their First Amendment freedom of speech. Yeah. Chief David Brown said this, that maybe we're asking our law enforcement officers to do too much. And we think about it. Remember, one of my parties was really addressing the social ills, right? Living in the greatest country in the world should have its privileges. But until we deal with the economy, until we deal with education, until we deal with housing, 
those until we deal with racism in this country, those issues that have a tendency to plague African-American communities throughout our history, until we deal with, with those, and we will continue to see an imbalance of justice in our community. Maybe we're asking things that the government or local communities should be responsible for. We call law enforcement officers for everything, and that's what Chief David Brown which I think was a, a, a very valid point. But understand this, back to what you were saying about we know the overwhelming amount of men and women who do the job, uh, carry the badge, do it well. But we also have an obligation, those who are law enforcement executives, to call out bad behavior when they see it. Why would you allow the inappropriate actions of one to take the good reputation of all of the men and women who do the job right. And so we have an obligation to do that. I have an obligation to do it now. I did it as a police chief. I will continue to do it as a member of Congress because that relationship between the police and the community is critical. No, no, absolutely right. And I remember Charles Rangel uh, was, has been on our show probably two or three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, he's retired, of course, now. But uh, he was talking about what you just alluded to, the communities. How do we, how do we repair damage with community and law enforcement? Put these people back to work. Give them jobs. Give them, and he said one of the most important things was education. Education. If you yeah. look at the statistics in our prison, who's in prison? Mm-hmm. Well, we know there's a, a imbalance of people of color. But if you look a little further, you see that. The overwhelming majority of people who end up in our institutions around this country either did not finish high school or struggled through high school. Education is the key to success in this country. And we have to find ways. If we want to be, you know, leaders, it comes with responsibility. We have to find ways that our children, all of our children, as I said earlier, regardless of who they are or how much money their parents make or whether they're on reduced or free lunch or not have access to quality education. It goes back to regardless of where your school is. We need to pay our teachers where they what they're worth and make sure that our schools have the resources that they need to effectively prepare our children for the future. These are the um, uh, programs really that Congress needs to Right, because a more educated society, a society that is working, doing better, owns their own homes and everything, just do better. No, absolutely right. And and going to the prison uh, problems, I I talked to you briefly, uh, Luana Banks Clark, my sister, uh, who was lost uh, November 14th of 2018, uh, an advocate for justice. was wrongfully convicted six months in a federal prison by a overzealous judge, overzealous prosecutor. This is a lady who, for 38 years as a church counselor, working in ministry with her mother, Pastor Rose Banks, Colorado Springs. Uh, we, as we've been here this week, have talked about the injustice, but the collateral damage of injustice in our criminal justice system. Uh, her brother, David Banks, one of the, and I'll send you the information, Congresswoman, uh, one of the IRP5, Kenneth Barnes is with us today, one of the IRP5 does that as men that were just wrongfully convicted, 
IT professionals and just caught up in a, in a really a corrupt system. Um, but our position was when lives start being lost from stress, doctors alluded to Rwanda Banks Clark as what's she under stress, what would she deal with? Injustice. Uh, now you have a collateral life uh, gone. What are your thoughts that we need to focus? I'm familiar with the first step. Uh, All right, first step. Awesome. What do you think about addressing? I think maybe this is my position as an advocate. Are we dealing with wrongful convictions enough as the forefront of what we well, need see, to do? And it goes back to, you know, one of the things I have realized as a law enforcement officer working with a judiciary, working with other law enforcement officers at the state and local and federal level, is that you talked about wrongful conviction. Well, how do we work hard to make sure that people are not wrongfully convicted, right? And I have just, and especially since I've been a member of Congress over the last two years, realized, or it has been reiterated to me, how important it is to make sure that we have police officers, that we have prosecutors, that we have judges that reflect the diversity and the diverse experiences of our community, right? Yeah, we are a nation of laws, but it's so critical that we look at what were the imbalances that allowed a certain person to be in the position that they are in the first place? Look, if you live behind a wall and you've never been discriminated against, you've never walked for anything, you've never had to uh, deal with a system that was unfair or unkind to you, then I believe you have zero understanding of what people go through who have to struggle. And we need a criminal justice system that is fair and balanced, but is also compassionate. That is also compassionate. So we have to be actively engaged and involved. Who are our prosecutors? Who are we recruiting to be law enforcement officers? My God, who are our judges? As we talk about being wrongfully convicted. And even if you are convicted, justly convicted, then we need a criminal justice system, a prison system that that is humane and compassionate, right? One of the things in the First Step Act, and it's a shame, it's almost embarrassing that in 2018, we had to pass legislation that said pregnant women should not be shackled. That's right. Now, you know what that that's a dang on shame. But if we had to do that as we talk about uh, unfair convictions and how people are treated in our prison system, if we had to do that, what are the other areas yes. that we're not in, in tune with yet or dealing with yet that we definitely need to address? That's awesome. Uh, perfectly spoken. Congresswoman Val Demings visits troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. The purpose of the trip was to conduct oversight of U.S. operations in Afghanistan and Iraq with a focus on the contribution efforts 
and concerns of women in the United States Armed Forces and local women. Congresswoman Demings says, states this, this was my first trip to Afghanistan, Afghanistan excuse me, and Iraq. It was such an honor to meet with our female troops and commanders and see firsthand the difference they are making in Afghanistan and Iraq, all while protecting our homeland, said Congresswoman Demings. She goes further to describe how she was able to deliver Mother's Day cards to female service members that were made by students from the Congressional District 10. And that is where she was elected. And she states, we just wanted to show them how much we appreciate the sacrifices they make to serve us, not just on Mother's Day, but every day. Congresswoman Demings, making a difference, not afraid to step out, as you've heard in part one of that interview with us, a woman of true passion and enthusiasm to be one that makes a difference. I would say to the Congresswoman tonight, Congresswoman Demings, take a bow for the folks of Orlando, folks of Florida got it right. And that's a big step going forward. We salute you tonight here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Ladies and gentlemen, coming back on the other side of the break, part two of that interview right after this. This is AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experience some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff, but he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's one 855 529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. Say good 
goodbye to affordability and say hello to losing control. Discover Price Gougesol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. I wanted to be in the military since I was was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back. So you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do board chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a lot. Congresswoman Val Demings making a difference in our nation's capital, elected to the 10th District. And I'll tell you what, 
thus far on this show, you've had an opportunity to hear the passion, the drive, the commitment to excellence that is very clear. It is our job as citizens, but as advocates, to bring to the attention of the American people the power of their voice. Florida's voice has been heard with the rise of a champion and a seeker for justice and to impact a nation. That would describe, in short, Samson, Congresswoman Demings. Your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you could hear throughout the interview. I mean, there's, there's not one subject that she goes to tackle or address that she doesn't put herself into it. You can tell... Um, just again, like we were saying, I mean, there's not enough positive adjectives to speak about this lady. I mean, she's, she is passionate. She's intense. She's driven. And just if we had more, more up there on Capitol Hill, that would at least join her cause, back her, you know, or even be like her help, you know, go after the legislation like she's determined to do and the change that she's determined to determined to bring about. I mean, it's amazing. From the humble beginnings, like, like we, we heard about in her bio, of a two-bedroom wood frame house, youngest of seven, to somebody that is literally up there helping to shape and direct the path of a nation. It's amazing, and it's inspiring. Dennis, your thoughts on that? Again, I agree. I agree with everything uh, that's been said tonight. I mean, she is just so, I mean, uh, I use the word awesome a lot because it's true. Right? When you have a a congresswoman or a representative or a civil servant that, that I like to call them because truly uh, they're a servant uh, to the citizens. And she is truly that. I mean, uh, she cares about everything. She cares about reform or, you know, uh, gun reform. She cares about our children. She cares about education. She cares about, I mean, everything. And, and then to go out uh, and visit our military after being, you know, after just getting uh, the position as a congresswoman, that is unheard of. And then to take that time, because a lot of time our women uh, service members, uh, truly, when, when somebody comes of stature, they go straight to the mail. But uh, they took the time to go to the women uh, you know, service members and let them know that they're thankful, that they're appreciative of what they're doing. I mean, that's, that's unheard of. So that is awesome in itself. But truly, truly, I mean, she, she's doing some awesome things. And there's no doubt with the way that she's moving right now, oh, she's going to make some differences up in Congress. No, without question. And I, I, I like the fact you have to have the human spirit. But she's a mother. The, the fact that she took uh, Mother's Day cards um, to those mothers awesome. and thought of them, that's really, really, that's impactful. Uh, because how... How were those mothers feeling at that time when they were away from their kids? And she said, you know what? I just got here, but I'm going down there, and I'm going to say, mothers, we appreciate you. We appreciate the sacrifices that you make. I tell, I tell you what, there's something very special and unique about Congresswoman excuse me, Demings that I tell you we need more of that. We need more of her. Uh, and I think given, as you said, Dennis, uh, Making these steps, doing what she's doing out the gate, is nothing less than being a trailblazer to lead 
a, a path or a map, if you will, uh, for those that'll come that'll come, that'll come after. So I think that's that's awesome. Uh, right now, when we talk about her caring about people, the Affordable Care Act, a lot of controversy was around that, uh, but it was done to protect a, a huge number of the American people and people with conditions and people that are hurting and people that are not healthy. And here we go again, who's in the shadows trying to make something happen? Congresswoman Dem- Deming. So let's see what she has to say a little bit about the dangers of repealing ACA, the Affordable Care Act. President Trump said it couldn't get any worse for the African-American community. He asked the question, what did we have to lose by supporting him? Well, it's even clearer now that we have everything to lose, starting with health care. Marion Wright Edelman said, And I quote, the question is not whether we can afford to invest in every child, but it is whether we can afford not to. Healthcare, we all know, is one of the most important investments we can make in our children. In Florida, 41% of children my home state of Florida are covered through Medicaid. This GOP health care plan gut Medicaid, cutting funding by $880 billion over the next 10 years. It also eliminates Medicaid expansion, which covers 1.5 million African Americans. So what do we have to lose? Families, children will lose their health care. For those who do not lose health care, they will be forced to pay higher premiums. That for some families could mean the difference between a doctor's visit and food on the table for some families. Since the ACA was signed into law seven years ago this Thursday, our community has seen its insurance rate, its insured increase to the highest number in recent history. For a community that has long faced increased barriers to health care access and delayed doctor's visits because of the cost, the ACA has meant the difference between life and death. There is no question we can make the Affordable Care Act more affordable for all Americans, but this bill doesn't do that. So. What do we have to lose? President Trump and to my GOP colleagues, I tell you the stakes could not be higher. Progress will be lost. Progress that took many, many years 
to make progress could be lost by repealing the ACA. The most vulnerable of people, the people we really should be taken care of in a country that we say is the greatest country in the world. I do believe that to be true. <laughs> people that we should be taking care of, including our children, will be hurt the hardest. Florida has the nation's highest enrollment number in the ACA at 1.7 million signups for 2017. But not only does repeal hurt children, but in my home state of Florida, it also hurts millions of seniors. A recent analysis from AARP shows that Florida will be ground zero for the Republicans' health plan's effects. They found that nearly a half a million Floridians between the ages of 50 and 64 would, place, would face higher premiums under the GOP plan, more than any other state. The people affected the most low-income seniors. So here is what's at risk. The district's uninsured rate has gone from 22% to 15% since the ACA was implemented. 343,000 individuals in the district who now have health insurance that covers preventative services like cancer screenings and flu shots without any co-pays, co-insurers or deductibles stand to lose this access if the Republican Congress eliminates the ACA provisions requiring health insurance to cover important preventative services without cost sharing. 392,000 individuals in the district with employer-sponsored health insurance are at risk of losing important consumer protections. 64,000 individuals in the district who have purchased high-quality marketplace coverage now stand to lose their coverage if the Republican Congress dismantles the market places. Over 60,000 individuals in the district who receive financial assistance to purchase marketplace coverage in 2016 are now at risk of coverage becoming unaffordable if the Republican Congress eliminates the premium tax credit. So what do we have to lose? The evidence could not be clearer. Congresswoman Demings is proving to be a person of the people. Uh, we've said that before on this program as we have talked to several members of Congress. Um, a person of the people, for the people. And I, without any fear of exaggeration, would have to say that Congresswoman Demings fits that mold. Uh, 
as you hear her talk about the Affordable Care Act, she talks, Samson, about the, the most vulnerable of our society, the people that we don't hear a lot of that. Again, the heart, the passion, the caring to say how Orlando is affected by repeal, the repealing of the ACA and the people that would suffer, uh, the lives that would be lost, all that goes into it. When you have a congresswoman or congressman coming out with this language, it tells me one thing. It's not about the office you got there on Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. It's not about the prestige. Right. It's about one thing. We serve the people of the United States of America. And if that is your focal point, as it appears to be for Congresswoman Demings, then uh, we're definitely headed in the right direction. No, and I absolutely agree. And I mean, she she makes such emphasis on it. And I think one of the things that helps her be so impassioned about it is because, I mean, she's lived it. We talk about her bio, you know, not only the fact of where she herself grew up with her parents, you know, one being a house cleaner and the other being a janitor, you know, and again, being the youngest of seven, but then she went into social work as her first thing right out of college. So she got to see those that are most affected or would be most affected by repealing uh, the Affordable Care Act. And say what you will about uh, the ACA, um, it's helped millions right. of people that could in, in no other way, shape, form, or fashion afford the type of care that they have now. They couldn't. Now, a lot of people want to complain about, you know, well, their premiums this, their premiums that. You know what? You're, 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 if you had insurance before, you're paying through the nose for it anyways. We all are. All this did was open the door for, you know, those of our society, you know, the disabled, the elderly, the ones that are on fixed incomes, the ones that are in low income, everything like that. It opened the door so that we could all receive the care that we need because the fact of the matter is that the diseases and the situations that these people are faced with on a constant basis, they don't care how much money you got in the bank. They don't care, you know, what your societal background is. It's that. And we all, you know, I thank God that she's championing um, this, this effort to keep the ACA uh, in place so that, you know, again, like I said, millions upon millions of people of Americans, of our brothers and sisters, citizens, can have the health care that they need and deserve. Well, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's not only the, uh, the, the health care and the cost of health care and <clears throat> the people who can't afford it. I mean, you have to look at the, uh, the cost of some of this prescription medication. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, my wife has a prescription that without the Affordable Care Act, a month's supply of that is $8,000. So you could have a good job. You can say, hey, I'm doing everything that I can. I, I, I'm working, I could be working two good jobs. But for your monthly supply of medication, right. and this is helping you to stay alive, this is helping you to stay stable, $8,000 a month it's, it's for medication. And when people... Uh, complain about the ACA is like, do you really understand what is going on? These specialty medications are insane for the prices that these pharmaceutical companies charge. And I understand they got to make money, but at the end of the day, they're ripping the public off. Without the Affordable Care Act and members of Congress like Congresswoman Val Demings that fight 
for the ACA and understand that this is what's going on. You have people say, well, why don't you go get a job so you can afford health care? It's not that simple. It is not that simple, and something has to be in place. And sure, there's parts of it that uh, that need to be fixed. There's parts of it that uh, that need to be tweaked. But until we have something better in place, this helps the, uh, the majority of Americans to have health care, whereas they wouldn't. Oh, without question. And uh, from her position on the U.S. House Homeland Security uh, Committee, this week Deming said the federal shutdown, which she blamed on Trump, was undermining public safety. Ports of entry, like our airports, are the number one target for terrorists and drug traffickers. This Friday, President Trump's government shutdown will mean that the TSA officers who keep us safe won't get paid. That's unfair, unsafe, and short-sighted, Deming said on Tuesday before pointing to her own experiences in law enforcement. And she, she makes a good point there. I mean, this is, a, this is unprecedented here in the United States. We've never seen anything like this. She goes on to say that I was the commander of the Orlando Police Airport Division at Orlando International Airport during the 9-11 attacks and know firsthand how important airport security is. I'm dumbfounded that President Trump, in the name of security, will force our TSA officers to work without pay. Demings added, this Friday, the TSA officers who keep our airports and airplanes safe will miss their first paychecks. Have we already forgotten the lessons of 9-11? Trump shutdown has never been about security. After the 9-11 attacks, Congress created a passenger security fee to help fund the TSA, but it's not being used. Now the Trump administration, which was diverted, which has diverted other fees to pay for parts and the IRS uh, won't do this. Excuse me, and the IRS won't do the same to keep our airports and travelers safe. Pay our TSA officers. Uh, and she makes, uh, again, you find Congresswoman Demings in the middle of controversy, in the middle of saying, look, I'm not going to play politics with you. I'm not going to talk around the subject. Let's get to the point. Um, this is irresponsible, is what she calls this administration. Over 800,000 people who contribute to this economy, who have to put food on the table. And I like what Congresswoman Deming said. When you've been in a situation where you didn't know where the next meal was coming from, you didn't know how you was going to put food on that table or how you were going to get lunch money or uh, lunch to those kids going to school because things were so tight and mom and dad didn't know how that was going to work. This is a congresswoman of and for the people. And until you understand that, that is why her passion or her fire will never go out because she has walked the road of indifference. She's been down these roads. She knows exactly what it feels like, as, as you alluded to, Samson, earlier, her humble beginnings coming up that way and being taught the principles, really, of a true foundation from her mother, who she said was a praying woman. It sounds like they had roots in, in belief and faith that brought Congresswoman Demings to where she is today uh, is remarkable. Ladies and gentlemen, on the other side of the break, we're coming right back with the final conclusion of our interview with Congresswoman Val Demings. Folks, this is, it doesn't get any better than this. And guess what? The other side of the break, it gets just a little bit better. This is Agency Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, shining the light on Congresswoman Val Demings. We'll be right back. This is Agency Radio. 
The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely, there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. Bart police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young black You can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice, and making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live 
and get along as one. Violence is not just violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Ladies and gentlemen of America, if you were ever wondering if we would ever have a reason to be optimistic, in a time in this country where we've never been more divided as we are today, there rises out of the ashes a champion to lay a new foundation. Without question, we believe that, in part, the beginning of that, in my belief, has started with the young lady from the state of Florida, Congresswoman Val Demings, making an impact and showing that there is a better way. Folks on social media are talking about it. It says, congratulations, Representative Val Demings, on your pick to be the House Intelligent Committee. We in Orlando, Orange County, Florida, are very proud of you. We know you are devoted and a hard worker and will get the truth and nothing but the truth, so help us God. They continue to write, replying to Congresswoman Demings, this is not going to get the attention it deserves. The future is looking a little brighter and more transparent, hopefully. They go on to say, we are thankful that you are there. These come from the hearts of voters, those that went out on a November day and said, I will cast my vote, and my voice will be heard through a lady who cared equally the same about change. That's Congresswoman Val Demings. Right now, we play the final conclusion of our interview, one-on-one exclusive interview with her in Washington, D.C., a little over a week ago. Let's play the clip. Here's our issue. When I talk to you, mm-hmm. and I'm sure our listeners catch on to what they hear, this is not a uh, production. This is not a Hollywood show. This is a congresswoman with a passion. You can tell her talking to you. Well, that you're about that. Because I've lived it, and I've seen it, and even though I went from being a social worker to a police officer. I remember my training sergeant when I first joined the police department said to me, well, you know, social work is nothing like police work. But I didn't leave my social worker's heart in Jacksonville, Florida when I moved to Orlando. And you know what I discovered just a few months on the job? That if you're doing the job of a law enforcement officer correctly, then police work is a lot like social work, right? Police officers are not arresting everybody that they encounter on the street who were good police officers don't because they realize once a person has a criminal record, it has the potential to create this down spiral for them. And good police officers who understand that you can't arrest our way out of some of the social ills we have in our community. 
We can put everybody in jail that we encounter, quote, breaking the law. Will that improve our education system? Will that improve housing? Will that create more jobs? Will that produce more productive citizens in all communities? And so it is truly about a police, the police and the community working together to solve some of the toughest problems that we have and challenges. And members of Congress opening their eyes and remembering why we are here. And we are here to serve people, not to be served. I don't want history. And I care a lot about what history reflects, right? I don't want history to look back on the 115, 116, 117, 18, however many Congresses I'm a part of, and say, oh, that was the Congress mm. who did nothing to improve our criminal justice system. Oh, that was the Congress who turned a blind eye to gun violence in America. Oh, that was the Congress who did not try to balance the scales of justice and improve the quality of life for every person living in a country that we say is the greatest country in the world. Well, it does matter to me. I take, I don't take myself too seriously because that will slow down your progress if you do. But I do take the job very seriously. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and I want to say this. Um, I look forward to following up with you. And, and I have no doubt that will happen with us. Uh, last thing. The challenges this country faces today, uh, at this moment in time, uh, how does Congress? I don't even, I don't even know how to pose this question. How do we maneuver through the muddy waters right now? Ask Congress to get stuff done. We're in a position now uh, on the House side where that was a huge statement from the American people. We have to do something. And as we look at the government shutdown, we look at over 800,000 people not working and needing to go back to work for the government. How do we, how do we face that? How do you as a congresswoman say, look, I got to dig in every morning, come in here and dig in and say, let's, let's go to work. Let's try to, what do we do here? You know, I, I think about my parents who had very little money to work with and the struggles that they had, Robin Peter, but they all, you know, just to just try to make it work, make ends meet, right? So think about over 800,000 federal employees or contractor employees. Some of them clean buildings or work in cafeterias, not getting a paycheck at all the month after Christmas, when they probably sure. spent more money than they normally do, but they knew their paychecks were coming, small as it is, in January. See, these are real people That's right. with real families and real responsibilities. And it goes back to what I said earlier. Maybe if you've never understood what it feels like, because I really do, to what it feels like to wonder, Where's my next meal coming from? Sure. Will I be able to keep a roof over my family's head? Will I be able to put food on that table? Maybe you can um, uh, put your ego on the table and fight, oh, fight an issue that has more to do with your ego than really about our national security in this nation. But dang on it, let's open the government up. Because the 800,000 people who are suffering had 
nothing to do, have nothing to do with what the administration, if you will, is fighting over or what the administration, uh, why the administration has shut the government down. So our first responsibility should be on um, opening the government up and paying the employees who have worked hard. I think the administration is letting federal employees down, but those federal employees have not let the administration down, have they? It's really a crisis uh, that's man-made and self-created and self-inflicted. Well, as, as we've been looking over the, the shutdown, the safety and security, we heard yesterday the TSA airports and traffic control, uh, that Americans in travel are at risk to a point now uh, because people are calling in. They're not coming in. People haven't, you're not giving me, what do you think people are going to think when you're not paying me to do this job? But you have hundreds of thousands of Americans traveling the airways. Air, Airways uh, from from city to city across this country, while the administration is not taking into consideration the safety and security. We talked yesterday about the food administration uh, can't check safety of food because we don't have the workers to do that. What about our parks? Exactly. Our national parks. You know, even I had not thought about when staff is not in our parks. And they're not there to say, no, you can't venture over into that area because it's not a safe area or you're going to trample on our natural resources or whatever. We know we've had a number of people who have died in our parts. We have 42 million people travel through the Orlando International Airport last year. I was assigned as a captain to the Orlando International Airport during 9-11. Now, if we have any member. And I know 9-11 is entrenched in all of our minds, but if we have any memory of 9-11, how on earth could you stand at the podium and talk about safety and security and allow the TSA to go unpaid in our nation's airports or be understaffed in our nation's airports? But, you know, since the administration is so concerned about our safety and security, um, what about the 49 people who were gunned down in a nightclub in Orlando? Or the 58 people who were gunned down at a concert in Las Vegas? Or on our school camp at Parkland? 17 people, 14 children who were gunned down in our schools. You want to talk about a crisis? Well, maybe that's maybe we should teach the president what a crisis. My experience as a law enforcement officer, I could teach the president what a crisis really looks like, or what a state of emergency really feels like. Tell the people in California, or in Florida, or in Houston, who've gone through natural disasters and are fired and have lost everything. That's what a, a, a state of emergency looks like. We need to get the government open and pay our employees uh, who have been so faithful to this country. And, and passionately, as it should be uh, stated, that uh, this is a serious matter. Uh, Congresswoman, I can't tell you the respect that I have for you sitting here talking to you today uh, and thanking you for what your service to this nation. 
to our listeners out here tonight, this is the example, in my opinion, of what Congress was sent to do. I think you're living above and beyond the bar and probably just set the bar uh, in a very good way for what you're doing. We appreciate that. Uh, we, you have the support of AJC Radio, a Just Cause organization. Uh, you will always have a platform with us. If you say, hey, Lamont, you know, I'm, I'm working on something. Can we get it out to the people? Uh, hey, that's an open door. We consider you a friend of our, of our organization. Hope you feel we are the same to you. Thanks for so much. Thank you for taking the time with us today. Ladies and gentlemen of America, AJC Radio, uh, spotlight on Capitol Hill, uh, privileged, honored, uh, whatever adjective you want to use uh, describing Congresswoman Demings. I'll tell you what, a trailblazer here on Capitol Hill and letting her impact be made. This is AJC Radio, spotlight on Capitol Hill. We'll be right back. Well, there you have it. Uh, and I believe it lived up to the hype we gave it. Um, awesome woman uh, doing some things, and all you can do is you have to respect that. And uh, we're honored that uh, Congresswoman uh, Demings took the time with us out of her schedule to sit down and talk with us about the passions and the things that have brought her to this point today, uh, we, we count ourselves very honored. And what a privilege it was to be there uh, in her office. And what you don't know is that was an 8 o'clock, 8.15 Eastern Standard Time meeting. Uh, you would never know it by the enthusiasm uh, that was felt in that room that day, that morning, uh, by Congresswoman uh, Demings and, and by our team that were there. We appreciate Cliff, Kendrick Barnes, Cliff Stewart there with us uh, for this for this, uh, for this this honor and privilege of talking uh, with Congresswoman uh, Demings. She writes this, she says here, Congressman Demings says, one of the reasons I was first persuaded to run for Congress back in 2012 was because a top congressional leader reminded me that one in four children go to bed hungry. I've seen firsthand throughout my career the devastating effect childhood poverty has. First as a social worker and later as a law enforcement officer, it's a reality that should keep you up at night. And one of the things that drives me to fight for the working class. Up at night, always fighting for those that need to be uh, in this fight. Then it's when you hear that, uh, it puts the icing on the cake to me. Not too many people say they're losing sleep at night from the job they do. She says, this is what keeps me up at night. I said it earlier, I'll say it again. This is the road she's walked. Your, your closing thoughts real, real quickly. Real on, quick. On uh, awesome again. I mean, I'm telling you, she truly, uh, we talk on this show all, all the time about uh, our congressmen and women being civil servants. And she said that. She said, I, I, you know, the people are not here to serve me. I'm here to serve the people, and that's just awesome. Awesome. Samson, real quick. Uh, just real quick again, I mean, there's, there aren't enough adjectives out there to describe exactly uh, what an impact in this great woman is going to have on our nation, which she's already done, and we just need more people like her. Cliff? Yeah, I just want to echo again what she said about how social work has uh, led her into public service, that you can use the concept of social work, helping other people in law, law enforcement, and she brought it right up to Congress. Her passion 
uh, is still there. She still is a servant of the people, and we commend her for that. And a very special thanks to Congresswoman Val Demings for taking time with us. To Daniel, uh, her, uh, I believe, right arm out there, working hard for her, making this happen, and the entire staff that was part of that. We, we, we give you a very special thank you tonight. Till next time, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, next Thursday. Good night, America. We'll see you next time. Thank you.